Hi, and welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Zach. And I'm Rin. And today we are continuing with our world building series talking about geography and maps. Okay? So when you are building your geography for a setting, you are really answering two main questions. The first one are what are the physical characteristics of this region? And then secondly, how do the physical characteristics of this region affect the people living there? That's what geography is all about. Um, oftentimes, geography really boils down to picking biomes. So saying whether this is a, a, you know, a rainforest versus a temperate forest versus a beach versus a desert. You know, that's a big part of geography. But you also are thinking about terrain and elevation and all of those fun things. That can all go into geographic world building. Yeah, so... Again, the two big questions, what are the physical characteristics of this region and how do the physical characteristics in this region of your world affect the people living there? So, like, I have a pet peeve, like, a bone to pick with, like, single biome planets, and I'm sure you do, too, as, like, an ethicist. <laughs> but, like, they're just, not, they're just not realistic. But, like, they're simplistic, and sometimes simple is good. There are two cases where you would have single biome planets, and that okay. is ice and desert, and that's it. No ocean planets? If you did have a complete ocean world, you would still have ice caps. Okay. Cool. Good to know. So, in our initial episode on world building, we talked about top-down versus bottom-up, and Zach has, like, the geographical world building explanation for top down versus bottom up and yeah. i want you to talk about the orbital dynamics of the planet yes okay <gasps> so like i mentioned in the last episode top down is starting with the star going to the planet and working it out from there so if you're starting with the star you're picking out what kind of star you're talking about and then how many stars there are I'm just going to throw this out there because i recently read a book that had a three star system in it and it drove me nuts um if the way that stars work is that they orbit in binaries, okay? So you can have one star or you can have two stars. If you have three stars, then two of the stars are orbiting around each other, and then you have one that's on the outside, okay. orbiting both of them together. That's how stars work. You can have it. You can do a, a Russian nesting doll thing and build it out as far as you want, kind of with a little asterisk right there. There are physical limits on this, but. You know, that's how you build it out. And depending on how you build it out, that is going to impact the way that the rest of the the rest of the star system works out. So let's say that you want to keep it simple and you're picking a sun-like star and you want planets off of that. Okay, well, now you need to ask the question, what kind of planet is it? Is it a gas giant? Is it a terrestrial planet? Is it an ice giant? You know, just a, a cold gas giant. And it's smaller, right? Um, that's going to impact lots of things about it, right? If it's a gas giant, you're not going to have terrestrial life unless it was transferred there by some means, right? But also, where are they going to walk? Where are they going to walk? What are they going to eat? You know, those sorts of things. Um, it's all going to be it's all going to be moons. And if it's all moons, you need to think about, okay, well, how many moons? Are there rings? Where are the rings situated with respect to the moons? What are the different, you know, what are the different moon environments? If you look at Saturn, for example, you know, Saturn's moons and Jupiter's moons, you have so, you know, such a wide variety when it comes to the kinds of moons that you have. 
you have planets or you have moons like Titan that have liquid methane on them. So you could think about creating a setting in which all the water is replaced with liquid methane. You could think about um, Europa, which is covered in ice and has uh, probably has a subsurface ocean underneath it that's caused by tidal heating. You have other ones like um, Ganymede or Io. Io is volcanic. Ganymede is super rocky and dead. You know, there's lots of things that you can do with the moons. Um, if you're doing a terrestrial planet, you got one moon, maybe two. You know, upper limit, one or two. Um, as far as we know. Could be wrong. We don't know yet. That's why we need more telescopes. I love that call to action. <laughs> Great job. Um, and then, depending on how close or far away the planet is, that's going to impact things. If it's uh, to the star. So if the if the planet is really close to the star, you're going to have a place that is super duper hot. So it's either going to be, you know, Mustafar, where it's just, you know, magma uh, everywhere. Um, or you're going to have Tatooine, where it's just sand everywhere and there's no water. Okay. Um, as soon as you start getting into the habitable zone, that's when you start getting more variety. But if you move too far outside of the habitable zone, the habitable zone... I suppose I should define that term, is the region in which liquid water can exist on the surface of a planet. Um, and every star has a different habitable zone. If you're looking at a sun-like star, you're, the habitable zone goes from about Venus's orbit through Earth's orbit and a little bit, you know, a bit further than that. Um, if you're talking about a red dwarf star, then it's going to be a lot closer. What that means is... A, a red dwarf? Yeah, red dwarf. I've never heard that term before. I've heard red giant blue dwarf. Yeah, so a red dwarf is a very small... But hot star? No, cool star. Cool star, because cool red, red is cool. Yeah. Um, those are super... They're super long-lived. Um, they also have a different... They have different kinds of light that they that they um, emit. So plants on, those, on worlds around um, red dwarfs are going to be different than the ones around our star, which is a K-star. Um, if you're interested in learning more about that, please message me. We can have our we can have a little um, astronomy powwow where you can ask, what does K mean? And I can say, well, and then go off. Excellent. Something else to consider is how, you know, how does the how does the orbit work in, as far as its orientation is concerned. If you're talking about Earth's orbit, um, Earth orbits inside of a plane, right? And surprisingly, most of the planets are in the same plane, but some of them are tilted up or down. So that's going to impact the way that we see the planets and any interaction in between, you know, species that are on those planets is going to be influenced by that. How is the, how is the planet inclined with respect to this orbital plane? For Earth, we're inclined something like 24 degrees, well, somewhere around there. So we have seasons. If it was just straight up and down, wouldn't have seasons. Um, so you can get really far into the weeds on this. If you're going from the top-down approach, find an astronomer friend. I will be your astronomer friend. Amazing. Just message me. Do you want to drop your handle real quick or your email for that? Yeah, so you can contact me uh, um at DC Winters um, on Instagram. You can email me at d.c.winters at gmail. Um, you can contact me on Facebook 
at DC Winters. If you want to chat science, I'm down. Yeah, I'm also down to chat science, but I just don't do astronomy. <laughs> uh, I am more like the plants. Yep. And I, I know a tiny bit of physics. Probably just have to say what color the plants would be if mm-hmm. you told me what color your star was. Um, of course, there's the bottom-up approach where you say, I want this one to be a forest, and then you build it out from there, and you just do it. That's way simpler. We're not going to get into that too much because we're already using up a lot of our time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally fine. I want you to go off that. super interesting. Um, I think something that's really helpful in world-building geography and stuff is to actually have a map. Yep. And you can draw this yourself. I like WASD20's playlist, How to Draw a Fantasy Map, on YouTube. It's been really helpful for me. We will have a link tree in our show notes, and it's also in our Instagram bio, where we will put a doc with all these links that I'm about to talk about. But if you don't want to draw by hand, if you are like not artistically gifted, and you don't have to be artistically gifted to draw a map. It doesn't need to be pretty. It just needs to be functional. Yep. Um... You can use Asgard's Fantasy Map Generator, again, link in the show notes, or Incarnate, where you build a map, whereas Asgard is, like, AI-generated. Asgard um, is so good. I love Asgard. Asgard is really cool. Um, and then I will also have a link in the show notes, well, in the document linked in the show notes, to a TikTok that my friend from my writing group, Will, did, where he shows you how to use Incarnate, which is a map-building software. And there is a free version. All these things are free. There are paid versions of some of them, but free resources are what's up. But, like, get a map, and even if it doesn't go into the book, even if you don't commission a really fancy map from a really cool map artist later, maps are helpful for you to know what's going on and where. Also to understand the the distances in between different things. Yes. Keep that consistent. Um, if you're looking for... so. Once you have the map, that's when you start putting down your that's when you start putting down your biomes. If you're looking for a primer on the science of biome placement, I would recommend Mark Rosenfelder's Planet Construction Kit. Again, there will be a link in the show notes. Um, and the Planet Construction Kit is also good for a lot of other world building topics. But you can use the geography section of this book to go through and say, okay, if this is the planet that I have, then these are the wind currents that I have. These are the ocean currents that I have. If I take these three, if I take these two things combined with the the elevation map, I can start putting in where my deserts are and where my forests are, all of that good stuff. If that sounds like too much work, another thing that you can do is that you can rip the topography wholesale from a region on planet Earth. Because if you are looking for a particular, it's kind of crazy. If you're looking for a particular biome combination, it probably exists somewhere on Earth. That's how amazing our planet is. So, for example, I mentioned earlier with the bottom-up approach saying, okay, I need my characters inside of a inside of a um, rainforest, and there needs to be a mountain range, and then there needs to be a, a desert. It turns out that there that exists on Earth in central Mexico. Um, so I can just rip topography from there if I want. Uh, Terry Brooks does this inside of the uh, inside of the Chronicles of Shannara, where he takes the Western United States and uses that as his as his setting. Um, you can also use a generator like Asgard to emulate a particular region of planet Earth. So Asgard has uh, options to emulate a Mediterranean environment. Um, curiously enough, the exact environment that I was looking for for my short story. So I was super happy about that. Um, 
or you know an atoll, an archipelago, uh, an archipelago. Lots of different things. There are there are many options. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do a test environment. This is for my Little Mermaid retelling, where it's like gender bent and gay. Um, as is everything I do, gender bent and gay. Yeah, that sounds right. We're going to go back to the basics, like what are the physical characteristics of the region and how they affect the people living there, and also the two layers of explanation. Mm-hmm. So, how does the environment affect the people living there? So I have this ocean planet. There's like islands, so they're like made from volcanic chains. There are ice caps at the poles of the planet, and obviously, with an ocean planet with small islands, you don't have a ton of space for agriculture or stuff mm-hmm. like that. So my first thing was like, what kind of food do they eat? Mm-hmm. And with some of my inspirations for this, I'm very much saying this in like a tropical place. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, tropical crops like bananas or coconuts are probably like what's going to be like a food source but also they can like fish for seafood and they can like forage for like mussels and clams and oysters on the beaches Mm -hmm. um what do they wear this was a really fun question because i was like hmm what did like the native hawaiians wear before like colonization became an issue um and i did some googling and this is like a really good skill like even if you're doing fantasy you should be able to like know how to google things and find answers uh it's just a good research skill but it's something like Hawaiian kappa is what it's called, and I hope I'm saying that right. But it's bark cloth, and it's bark pounded until thin and malleable as fabric using a special, like, hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, so it is a type of fiber, and it can be made into all sorts of clothing. How do they get around? They probably have more boats than other vehicles. Islands are probably small enough, so it's not worth making wheeled vehicles if they've even gotten like, the invention of the wheel, because this is... Very much fairy tale. Like right. the vibes are like Moana, or the, like the vibes are Moana. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, you know, even when you start off with, well, they're going to be foraging, agriculture is going to be hard, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Even then, you can tell something about the about the kinds of cultures that will arise because in those cases, you're not likely to get large empires, mm-hmm. right? You're more likely to get small hunter gatherer tribes small agricultural things you're probably not going to hit much above dunbar's number of around 150 people living yeah. inside of one spot if you're not aware of dunbar's number look it up um practice your research skills yep um and that's something that is going to impact the society because if you're living in a group of 150 people everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business mm-hmm. yeah um and then the next thing I thought of, and this is where I'm going to apply the two layers of um, explanation, is, like, tropical storms are going to be, like, a big thing. And I'm like, how on earth do you survive tropical storms if you're, like, in a boat? Because, like, again, I was watching Moana the other day. And, like, the storm just, like, absolutely wrecks her in, like, the first, like, half of the movie when the storm comes. Right. And I was like, even if you're, like, on an island that's still going to be devastating, mm-hmm. like... If a natural disaster hits Hawaii, they have, like, the food supplies to last, like, maybe 10 days, and then they're dead. Mm-hmm. Or dying. Probably not dead, but dying. Um, so problem, layer one, tropical storms. How do you weather tropical storm? And this, I went back to research, and I found that in different areas of the Pacific Islands and in Polynesia, they will build their houses so they're scattered instead of in a line. 
Um, so any damage is minimal, and that's like based in real life. So I'm like, okay, so they do it this way. They have ways to like, stabilize their boats because ships are made to weather storms, and I don't know that much about all the ships yet. This is like a very baby stage project. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see through this like test environment that I have thought of some of the world building from like a geographical point of view and then how it affects the people and I've done research to supplement this and make sure it's realistic because not realistic but believable yes because that is a big thing with world building is make sure it is believable yep so you can go way far into the weeds for this we've kind we've just scratched the surface as far as geography and climates and biomes are concerned um if you're interested in talking more about all of that, reach out to us. You can find us at Quid Pros Quo on Instagram. You can email us at quidprosquo at gmail.com. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Quid Pros Quo. Quid Pros Quo is hosted by DC Winters and CK Jensen. If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a rating. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at quidprosquo at gmail.com. For more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.